It is, it's me, it's TRG, the Ramblin' Gambler. Ring, belt, boots, yeah, you know it. Let's go. Welcome to our Casino Combat Podcast. This is episode 41. And the numerology thing is getting much more interesting. The number 41's sense of personal freedom generally leads it to focus on establishing financial, physical, and emotional security for itself. Although 41 has a strong focus on building that secure foundation, it is curious and interested in pretty much anything. (laughs) As I said, interesting and interested in pretty much anything. Everything and anything. And I guess I'm pretty much interested in everything, so... But I'm not sure how useful uh, any of this really is. How can an episode establish financial, physical, and emotional security for itself? Do episodes have emotions? Are they physical? I have no clue. But I do believe that being good at the game of casino gambling can help you have personal freedom and create some financial and emotional security. As for the physical part... Always carry defense because you always carry cash. (laughs) That should probably actually be uh, a casino wisdom, maybe. Um, I've said that a couple times. Let's see. Knowledge and information about casinos leading to an action. That seems to check all the boxes. That's the criteria. Hey, T-Rex, when you listen to this, please make that casino wisdom number 16 in the book of casino wisdom. Thank you in advance, T-Rex. Um, I'm making my way the only way I know how, and that can't be anything more than the law will allow. And that means we need a disclaimer before we get started. Everyone who's listening, Kit, the General Lee, and the Batmobile, don't gamble with money you need to pay your bills. Don't gamble with money you cannot afford to lose. Don't think for one minute that what I did last week or last month is any prediction of what any of us will do next year or next month or next week. If you have a gambling problem, get help. If you don't know how to get help, send an email to help at casinocombat.com. We will provide that information to you. Stuff that happens that doesn't impact results and interest isn't interesting may be skipped. Everyone has a nickname to protect the innocent and the guilty. All right, I guess I was feeling enough personal freedom and emotional security to change that up a little bit. <laughs> If you are listening for the first time and you are wondering what you have gotten yourself into, I use casino gambling to make extra money, get a lot of free stuff from casinos, and have a lot of fun. And if you know how to go about it and have some discipline and emotional control, it isn't that difficult. In my life, I focus on having a profit from casino gambling at the end of each month. I don't win every table I play. I don't win every slot machine that I play. I sometimes don't win any money in one particular trip to a casino. But at the end of each month, I almost always, every time, have a profit. Usually a cash profit. Sometimes just a profit in stuff. So let me explain how this podcast determines a winning or a losing month. If we get to the end of the month and we have more cash than we started with, after paying all our expenses associated with gambling, that's a winning month. A very traditional profit after expenses, in a business sense, winning month. And in that case, all the free rooms, meals, gifts, etc. are a bonus. If we finish the month with less cash than we started with after expenses, then we take a deeper look into two things, the expenses and the value of the free stuff we received. Let me walk you through the last one first. This is obvious, but many people don't understand that it's possible, so let me state the obvious by way of an easy example. If a casino gives you a free hotel room to stay in for the evening and pays for dinner for two in a fine dining restaurant, and those items, if purchased, would cost $500, Do you care if you gambled all night and finished the evening having lost $10? Do you feel like you lost or you won? 
in my life and for this podcast, we consider that winning. So if we get to the end of the month and we have less cash and have received much more in value than we lost and spent, we consider that a win, which is where expenses come in. Often, it isn't that we actually lost money, it's that we didn't win enough to cover our expenses for the month. We spent ourselves to having less cash, but not less cash than if we hadn't gambled. What that really means is everything we purchased was deeply discounted. Basically, for every dollar we lost and spent, we got $20 in value back. There can be months where we lose and spend money, and again, as long as we receive more in value from the casinos, we consider that a win as well. If we spent money and lost money and didn't get more in value than we lost and spent, that's a losing month. Those happen very, very rarely. But if one month we lost and spent a week's pay, but two months prior we won six weeks' pay, we admit we lost and go on knowing that we earned plenty of cash money to cover the small loss. Over the course of this podcast, my wife and I have won cash after expenses equal to 44 days' pay. And we've received more than three times that in value, including the meals, drinks, and spa treatments we counted as expenses when determining the profit. And as I acknowledge in the disclaimer, that doesn't mean we won't get smacked and lose it all over the next year. It could happen. It doesn't seem likely. I have years of experience with this, but it could happen. And if it does, I'll tell you about it and analyze why it happened. Anyway, this podcast is about what I do, how I do it, the results I get, and the people I meet along the way. I try not to hold anything back. I'm not saying there might not be some t-shirts in the distant future or that at some point the Book of Casino Wisdom might not be available on Amazon, but I'm not holding anything back technique-wise. I'm not going to say, oh, you need to buy X to get the final secrets of how all I do this, or you need to pay for my system so you can win at roulette. I'm not going to tell you that I can teach you for money to learn the patterns of a Baccarat table, but only if you cut me a check or join a subscription or... I'm not doing that. I'm giving it to you as truthfully as possible, and you are welcome to emulate me if you would like to, and I hope you do, and people are, and they are having success. So that's the big picture basics, and here are the details. Quickly. We spell lots of things with a K. Most importantly, we spell combat with a K. It was cheaper to produce the podcast that way. I'll remind you of that from time to time, particularly in the early episodes, a probably annoying number of times. There are games hidden in the podcast. They are explained in episode 22. There are prizes and there have been winners. You are welcome to play and win. Slot machines should not be part of casino combat. They really shouldn't. But I kept winning money playing certain machines a certain way and so did other people in my life. So I wrote it all down as an ebook, and you are welcome to download it for free. If you would like a copy, send an email to me, trg at casinocombat.com. Spell combat with a K, of course, and put two words in the subject line. This is very important. Two words. Slot tactics. We have a bot named Fred. She's unpaid labor, and we make her work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She will be happy to send you a link to download the ebook. If you go to casinocombat.com, spelling combat with a K, told you an annoying number of times, you will see that there we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you would... If you have an extra like, a share, a subscription, a review, or anything else you're willing to contribute to our podcast in the online space, we would really appreciate it. And let me say that I have noticed several of you, many of you, who are making that contribution, who are making a point to hit those buttons in those spaces. Um, and, and T-Rex and Billy with the great last name and I 
really do see that and we really do appreciate it. On YouTube, there is a playlist called Boot Camp. I wonder how you should spell camp if you are looking for it. Anyway, it is literally Gambling Boot Camp. How to be good at casino gambling. No jokes, no stories, or at least as few as I could uh, force myself to include. It covers each aspect of the core concepts of casino combat, and they're explained in short, easy-to-understand lessons. The entire course takes less than 90 minutes. So here's the battle plan for today's episode, squad. I've got a number of things to update you on and interesting things to share. Things that if you applied them to your own gambling could lead to additional physical, financial, and emotional, (laughs) easy for me to say, emotional security. I did some gambling with Gabriel this week in person at a craps table. So rather than include that in our normal travel and results section, I'm going to discuss that as a standalone item. And we're going to do that course in a gambling with Gabriel segment. It makes perfect sense, and I'll do that in just a few minutes. I have a core concept segment for you today. We've been very heavy on the topic of reward systems and how to select, manage, and exploit them in recent episodes. And that's important because that is the easiest money to get from a casino. That's tax-free money they give away, except they give it away as comps and gifts and meals and that kind of stuff. So we've covered that a lot, and I thought that we would return today to math and odds and wager selection and discuss the insurance bet on a blackjack table and if it is or is not a wager that makes sense in the casino combat framework. In the travel segment, I'll share the results from the casino combat-based gambling that I did uh, this past week and some observations and stories on what happened along the way. And finally, as we always do, stories in the VIP lounge. And of course, you are welcome to treat it as a VIP lounge and pour yourself something while you listen. I had a great time with someone I met during my week this week, and it was a somewhat unlikely combo at first glance. But we had some very important things in common in the end, and we had a blast. So since it isn't really an observation related to my results or anyone else's results or techniques, I thought I'd share that with you today in the VIP lounge. So that's the battle plan for episode 41. Let's go gambling with Gabriel. (laughs) Wait, wait, no, no, wait, don't. Let's not do that yet. I forgot a couple of things. I still don't have an update from Guardian and the Jet, but I did get an update from Ice Cream Man. He is now up two days pay doing casino combat and has decided that he's going to try to figure out the name and location of my home casino so that he can join Golden Fan and Master of Details in the inner circle of casino combat. And that would be great. That would be excellent. I'm sorting out the tech. We're going to interview him soon in person so you can meet him uh, recorded in person. I almost said live. All right. We're ready. Let's go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, as is often the case, background first. I always try to do something new when I go to Las Vegas, usually several new things. And years ago, the new thing I was going to do was play craps. I learned the best way to play craps with the best possible odds. 
I learned the rules that went with those wagers. I took a free craps lesson at a casino. I played a few tables and the money went quick, 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 quick every time. And I didn't have much fun. The bankroll was much larger than the bankroll for blackjack and the blackjack odds were a little bit better. And I just kind of moved on from craps. Over the years, I've looked at craps again in simulation and done bankroll calculations and never really liked the results and never went much beyond that. And that's why it's better to have more minds on this puzzle of extracting maximum value from gambling in casinos than just my own. That's why it's good to have allies. It's good to have friends. It's good to have other people involved in this. It's good to have those of you that have started contributing involved in all this. Because it improves my information. And you folks see things differently than I do. And that's a good thing. That's a valuable thing. So my good friend Gabriel brought a fresh set of eyes and a different point of view to evaluating craps. Gabriel, if you don't know, is my regular sounding board and thought partner when it comes to all things gambling. And so is my wife and so are some of my kids. But he's outside my family and and we have a regular dialogue about all of this. I often feel like I talk too long and talk longer than I need to in these podcasts. And then in moments like this, I realize there are things I don't say often enough. And that's a weird balance and I'm still working on it. But many, many, many of the ideas and processes that I present as part of this show are the direct result of my relationship with Gabriel and the conversations we've had over the years. He is a part of the DNA of this podcast, without a doubt. Anyway, as it relates to craps, he revealed my blind spots. In this case, using only 20-year-old memories and simulations to understand the current state of the game was a blind spot. Military commanders use a phrase, the map is not the terrain. This phrase illustrates the idea that no matter how accurate a map is, it won't tell you things that eyes on the ground can tell you. Gabriel became the eyes on the ground. Gabriel went and put money on the table to gather data. And that revealed a number of things that I was never going to see in a simulation. Other ways to see the wagering process and the potential utility of combining bets. That different approach, that alternate look, yielded a much smaller bankroll number. I also had not considered that you could evaluate various players and their skills and bet or not bet based on how you evaluated them. I hadn't considered the amount of points craps would generate within the reward systems and the value of those points as part of the bigger picture casino relationship. If you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Gabriel showed me that that's what I was doing. I was seeing everything in a casino through a lens in which my knowledge was the hammer and I was missing things. Having seen that, Having talked about it with him for an extended period of time, the logical result of all that was to find a chance to play some craps. And I've been considering it on my own. I've been keeping an eye out and I keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And I keep saying, oh, well, if I have a really big win, then I'll take some of that and I'll go try to play craps and it won't matter. And then I never feel like a win's big enough to do that. So when Gabriel suggested that we travel a couple hours west to the to the My Choice casino that I have been going to fairly regularly where the minimum bet on craps is much lower than it is locally and that we play craps together I was in I was ready to do that I was pumped up 
I was ready to learn by doing and form a better opinion on where crafts might or might not fit as part of casino combat. So let's be clear. At this point, this experiment is informational for both you as a listener and me as a host. It's not part of the casino combat results because I'm not doing casino combat. This is not gambling for profit. This is gambling for education. And in the case of the first time out, gambling for entertainment with a friend I don't get to gamble with as often as I used to. I'm doing an experiment to learn if I can find a way to successfully apply the principles I know are essential to being successful as a casino gambler to the game of craps. Can I find a wager or a set of wagers with a small enough house advantage that a system of changing bets up and down based on wins and losses can produce a significant profit in cash and points over time? And I'm doing that because, once again, I'm starting to learn my blind spots. I'm starting to learn that trusting what I was told by, air quotes, experts 30 years ago may not always be true if I apply my own intellect and knowledge to things firsthand. And Gabriel's made that point very clear. For my entire gambling career, until very recently, I listened to experts tell me that slot machines were a bad wager and the house advantage was too large to overcome. And mathematically on paper, it is. But when I put that aside and look at slot machines for myself and really learned about them, I had an idea I thought would work. And I put money at risk and I started testing it. And I discovered that it fit with what I do and it fit fairly well. Most months, we make a profit playing slot machines with our own money. Once in a while, and this month may be that month, we lose money on slot machines. But we also get tier points, and we get imaginary money to spend in the casino. And in the future, we get free play based on that slot play. We get free slot play. And if we go back to those places, that makes up for some of those losing bets from that particular month. And I'll remind you of a simple illustration of that concept. There is a small slot parlor, as you know, near one of my clients. Early in the life of this podcast, I stopped in just to get a few MGM points on my account to keep it active and to see if I could grab a few dollars and get the comp process started. And I did that since I'm near there fairly frequently. I lost money, and I don't recall how much it was. If you've listened all the way through, maybe you remember. But it was less than $100. The following month, I got a set of weekly free play offers. And the month after that, and the month after that. And each time I was in the area, I stopped and played the free play using TRG Slot Strategy 1 and took the free money and left. Now you can say I lost money playing that slot machine because it was a bad set of wagers and what I write in the ebook doesn't work. You could say that. And I would respond that everything worked exactly as planned. I used the free play they gave me to make many, many, many times the money that I lost that day. I calculated it all out once, and I made almost four times as much money in cash over the course of four months as I lost that day, and I never put any additional money at risk. So now I'm looking at craps that way. I'm looking at craps and saying, let's look, let's do the experiment, let's see if in reality, actually there, actually seeing it with my own eyes, doing it a few times, if in fact I will find something that I think is exploitable in the big picture, money, points, comps, rewards, free stuff, sense of the word. Not the every table's a winner sense of the word. So I learned a couple dice sets. In craps, some people align the dice in specific ways. 
For example, both fives face up and the fours together facing you. And they do this in the belief that if the dice are thrown correctly, a range of numbers will come up more often and another range of numbers will be less likely. And they bet on the range of numbers they believe will come up more often. I have no clue if that works or it does not. And maybe some people can do that. I was certain it wouldn't impact any dice I threw. It wasn't going to matter how I positioned them. But when in Rome, at least look like a Roman. I calculated my experimental bankroll, my EBR, and set up kind of the guidelines for my craps experiment. I'm committed to playing four tables regardless of the outcomes. To put things in perspective, the separate EBR I set aside for this experiment is slightly larger than the original bankroll we used to start this podcast. It's just over a week's pay. And that's just for me to play craps. Gabriel has convinced me it's doable with less, and less than I thought, but it's still significantly more money at risk than I need for blackjack. So that's going to be an interesting part of this outcome. So that's the background and the plan for examining craps in person. Gabriel and I were able to get spots together at a table so that he could coach me through the process and the etiquette of craps. We played for several hours. I threw twice. The first time, everyone lost quickly. The second time, I held the dice for a fairly long time and made some money for people and money for myself. At the end of the second set of throws, I was a nervous mess and ready to have the dice out of my hands before I actually threw a seven. Here's a confession. When I was younger, my parents were thrilled that I was left-handed, just like my father and grandfather, and more thrilled a few years later to discover that I'm ambidextrous, which I am. Usually ambidextrousness, ambidextrousness, I'm not sure if that's a word, but usually being ambidextrous is described as doing things equally well with both hands, which is true in my case. I do things equally well with both hands. But what no one ever tells you is that equally well may be really horrible. If one hand is really bad at throwing something, the other hand is also really bad at throwing something. Equally well can be really bad and you're still ambidextrous. So yes, I can throw a football or golf or bat or throw darts or bowl with either hand, left or right. It doesn't matter. But the results are awful either way. And that's kind of how I feel throwing dice. It feels wrong and awkward with either hand. At the same time, that's just knowledge. It doesn't matter. You don't have to throw dice or be good at throwing dice to play craps and enjoy it. You can just pass the dice to the next person. And that's why you have to get out there and try it and do it. I'm only going to know what it's like when I've had the experience. And only with the experience can I really understand if this is a game that I can find some angle to exploit. Beyond that, a couple of interesting things happened. At one point, I was sorting my chips, and the dealer asked if I was coloring up and ready to be done. And I said, no, just kind of counting to see where I stand with things. The dealer says, well, you know, Kenny Rogers says you should never count your money at the table. And before I could even respond, Gabriel hits the dealer with, Kenny Rogers was wrong. It's <laughs> just perfect. I was thinking it. He said it before I could. That was just great. That's our life in the podcast and the podcast in our life. And, and that's a really neat thing and kind of a surprise that I didn't exactly realize how this would all take on a life of its own in some ways. Uh, the other thing was later in the game. Gabriel and the dealer and I were discussing my sense of where he and I were. And we were down about half our original buy-in. 
And with what I had seen of the results from the wagers we were making, I didn't see a path to recovery and a profit. Now, both Gabriel and the dealer assured me that there were plenty of ways that we could finish with a win. And sure enough, a short time later, another shooter starts throwing number after number after number. And by the time he was finished, I had all my money back and a profit equal to about a bet and a half of the type of bet I was making. Gabriel didn't do quite as well as we had bet somewhat differently over the course of the shoot. I didn't have enough experience in that moment to process my instincts quickly enough. My instinct was that that was the one good run I was going to see and that I should go use some free things I had available to me and be happy with the education I had received. But I wasn't sure and I didn't know what to expect. And in that moment of trying to sort it all out, when Gabriel made a bet and I was trying to decide, I followed him. We gambled a while longer and I never really had a profit of any type after that. I finished with a loss of less than one-third of a day's pay. Not really a particularly big smack on the, on the, the, the bankroll that I had set up for this as an experiment. The one part where we were all winning together, where the guy was on that run, that was fun. That was truly fun. That was, that was a casino kind of fun. With a whole bunch of strangers all united in enjoying the fact that we were all having success. So that was fun. The entire thing was very educational. Otherwise, it was kind of just okay for me. Other than hanging out with Gabriel. Hanging out with Gabriel was great. And I really appreciate his guidance and his education. But that's why I didn't set the experiment up with just one table planned. I barely know what's going on and that will go away over time. I'll get more familiar and comfortable and then it may go from just okay to interesting and engaging even when it's not fun. Because I may be able to think my way through things at a higher level. Small losses or small wins may be a lot more than okay once I get a better handle on things and as I said, get more comfortable. I was very careful to monitor my points before and after I started playing. And the interesting is, thing is, the points I earned over those few hours are equal to 20% of all the points I've earned with my choice during the entire run of this podcast, which is a significant consideration. That's a lot of points from a pair of bets just slightly larger than one blackjack bet for me normally. And the loss I took was trivial compared to the ones I often take and recover from on a blackjack table. I'm not drawing any conclusions, but I'm on the lookout for additional situations to get more experience, and I'll keep you updated. I suspect you know that, and that's a good thing. All right, let's do core concept segment and get back on familiar ground. One of the core concepts is to focus on making bets where the house advantage is as small as possible. So I wanted to talk today about evaluating a specific and lightly understood wager on the blackjack table, the insurance bet. On the felt, on almost every blackjack table, there is a line that says insurance pays two to one. And it's usually near an arced double line that runs through the middle of the rounded table. But there's no circle for each player to make that bet. There's no obvious place to make it. And you could play for a while in some cases and not see anyone doing anything other than process the bets in the circle and no one would make a mention of insurance. So what is the bet? How is it made? Should it be made or shouldn't it? I'm going to answer all of that right now. If the dealer has an ace showing after each player has two cards, 
they will run their fingers on or above that arcing line I mentioned from one side of the table to the other and then back again. And they will say, insurance open, insurance closed. The hand gesture indicates to the security cameras that the bet has been offered and refused. So, okay, this is when you make the insurance bet. But where are you? what are you betting on? You're betting that the dealer has a blackjack. It really has nothing to do with your hand as a player. So if we want to make the bet, what do we do? You place an amount up to one half of your original bet on or near the arc in the middle of the table. At this point, the dealer will often say something like, Anyone else? Okay, insurance closed. They will then either use a small mirror on the table or infrequently at smaller casinos use a technique called peaking to determine if the hidden card has a 10 value without revealing it. If it does not, any insurance wagers are lost and removed from the table and the game continues. If the hidden card is a 10 value card, the card is revealed, the insurance bet is paid at a 2 to 1 rate, that means if you bet $5, you get 10 you bet 10 you get 20 And the rest of the bets are collected as losses. So let's walk through an example of that quickly. You make a $10 wager, and the dealer has an ace. You do not, as the player, have a blackjack. You decide to wager $5, one half of your original wager, that the dealer does, in fact, have a blackjack. The dealer does have a blackjack. You are paid $10 on the insurance wager, two for one. And your original $10 wager is collected. You've not actually won or lost any money, hence insurance. On the other hand, if the dealer does not have a blackjack, your $5 insurance wager is collected, and then the outcome of your blackjack hand is determined in the normal way. If you ultimately win the blackjack hand, you will have a total profit for the hand of $5. Your $10 you got paid minus the $5 you lost on the insurance. If you lose the blackjack hand, your loss for the hand will be $15, your $10 wager plus the $5 insurance wager. Let's go over one more unique situation, and then we can discuss the math behind the house advantage on this wager. A unique option occurs if the dealer has an ace and you have a blackjack. As long as you are playing on a table that pays 3 to 2, not a table that pays 6 to 5, and if you've listened to me at all, you better not be playing on a 6 to 5 table. I'm serious. Fix that mess before you even worry about this. <laughs> but, okay. okay. Um, but anyway, you have a blackjack and the dealer has an ace. You can do what's called taking even money. At some casinos, the dealer will ask you, do you want even money? Some casinos, though, have a policy expecting the player to understand the game and request the option, and if they don't, no mention of it will be made. And it's funny. No hand gesture is required to take even money. It's one of the few things at a blackjack table that does not require a gesture. You just say, even money. <laughs> but, almost universally, players use the, the gimme gimme gesture, I guess I'll call it, where you extend your, your hand, palm up toward, the, up toward the ceiling, and you extend it toward the dealer, and then you pull your fingers towards your palm and back flat and towards your palm several times to, to request that this option be implemented. It's just funny to me that Everyone seems to have adopted that for a very long time. Here's why this optional form of taking insurance exists. Back to that $10 wager that we always make, right? And now you have a blackjack and the dealer has the ace. If you put a $5 chip out to take insurance and the dealer has blackjack, you get paid $10 on that bet and the blackjack bet is a push. So you gain $10. 
If the dealer does not have blackjack, your $5 insurance bet is lost, and the blackjack pays 3 to 2, which is $15, and you have a total profit for the hand of $10. If you have a blackjack and the dealer has an ace, it works out the same either way, if you want to take even money. So everyone just skips all that by taking even money, and if that's what the player does, they're paid $10, and their blackjack hand is collected before the dealer checks to see if they have blackjack. Now that we understand, have an understanding of how the bet works, is it a good bet to make, and should even money be taken if we have a blackjack? And as I always do, to evaluate this, I go to wizardofodds.com, and I check their math to understand the house advantage, or lack thereof, on this wager. Their analysis indicates that the house advantage is 7.04%. So over time, for every $100 wagered on insurance, you will be expected to lose $7.04. For comparison, I recommend blackjack wagers as your first choice because your expected loss per $100 is just a little over 30 cents depending on the specific rules of the table. So you should never make an insurance bet, ever, no matter what cards you are holding. But TRG, I can hear it right now, I can hear it right now. TRG, I've got my four and a half unit bet out there and I've got a blackjack and the dealer has an ace showing. If I collect the four and a half units here, if I, I, I have a profit of for the three-hand sequence and I'm back down to the one-unit bet, if I refuse even money and we both have a blackjack, it's a push. I'm playing the next hand at four and a half units again. And if I lose that, it's a losing table for me and I'm losing. I'd rather win the four and a half units. I made this bet to win four and a half units and I want to continue my game. I want to take even money. I hear you thinking that. Trust me, I hear you thinking that. I hear that all running through your head, particularly in the moment when this is happening to you. Well, the good people at wizardofoz.com have done the math on that as well and proven that over the long term, it's still the wrong choice by a meaningful amount. It doesn't matter that you have a blackjack. Even money is taking insurance, and you should never take insurance. I'm not going to bore you with an attempt to walk us through the math in a way that makes sense verbally. I understand it. I've understood it. I trust the people who created it. You are welcome to watch their excellent video if that math interests you. But the bottom line but the bottom line here is that insurance is never a good wager to make for the best long-term results. Insurance should always be a hard no. And now it's confession time. And I realize that's probably a record, two confessions in one episode. But I always tell you the, the truth about what I do to the very best of my ability. I've known since the first day I played blackjack that even money should always be a hard no. Before there was an internet, I knew this information and the math behind it. But if there is a hole in my game, this is it. Sometimes, when there is a larger bet involved, I make a choice based on my situation at the table at the time. It's dumb. It's a flaw. But there it is. And here's the crazy part about this flaw. I know that the chance of the dealer having a blackjack when an ace is showing is only 20%. There's an 80% chance that I'll get paid more. But once in a while, I still stumble on this one. And this year, like every year, I joke that I give up taking even money for Lent. And people laugh, and it's funny, but it isn't really a joke. I do. Every year, I give up taking even money for Lent, and I stick to it. And then sometime after Easter, I'll hit a blackjack with a big bet out, exactly as described above, and I'll cave, and I'll take even money. But I've been better since last Easter. 
I've been better at being a hard no with any but the largest bets. And I'm, and I'm doing fine this, this Lent season. I'm doing fine with it. Maybe, maybe I can stick with it this time. We'll see. But my intent is that I'm going to stick with it. Because I've now gone through the math again for the nth time. And I so know how correct that is the, as a thing to do. So there you go. A casino combat take on insurance and even money when playing blackjack. You know, every week I gamble, and every week in the travel segment, you hear if the techniques worked or didn't work this week. So let's do that next. All right, let's take a walk through the week as it occurred. It ended up being a very busy casino week with a lot of visits. I started out the week at my local casino with a gift, some free slot play, and a parking comp. Given the parking comp, I was close, so why not stop in and take whatever they were offering? Wouldn't have stopped for the free play, stopped for the free play and the gift. Uh, I waited about 20 minutes for a seat at a blackjack table. I was willing to gamble there. I couldn't get one, and I left. The next day, I was near that client, near the uh, MGM slot parlor. I needed gas, so I made the minor detour. I didn't have any free slot play, which meant it was time to use some of my own money to get that going again. I spotted a set of Scarab machines and used uh, Master of Details Advantage slot play techniques and spotted one with four spins remaining before the bonus would trip. I played the spins and won some money on the bonus, but I did lose a few dollars on the machine in the end. The bonus didn't quite cover the, uh, the amount of wagers I'd made. I played a new machine to test it out and took a very small loss before leaving. And I got the player's discount on gas and full transparency. I guess I should consider the discount a comp, but I'm just not going to worry about calculating number of gallons versus the discounted amount and multiplying it and recording it. It's just, we're going to have to call that one too trivial. I just, I don't care enough. I also stopped by the second slot parlor on the route home and let them comp lunch after I played my free slot play there. I also managed a small win playing slots with my own money. So in free play, free lunch, Quick slot play for a few points and a few dollars and out the door and on the way home. This is the grindy, not super part fun part of this gambling for a profit. It's not bad. It's also not super exciting. But the fast food lunch I would have paid cash money for wouldn't have been super exciting either. So, I uh, mean, there's that. Um, the following day, I met up with Gabriel for the crap session we talked about at the start of this episode. I played a slot machine and caught the bonus on a larger bet, which is what I want to happen, but the payout was not enough to prevent a loss. I also picked up a free bet, which I used on a blackjack table, where I managed a small win, but it should have been, could have been, might have been a larger win, except for Mr. Greedy. So I'm going to tell you about him. As I said, I was doing fairly well. I'd eliminated the loss at the craps table. I was working my way toward a win that I could protect and plan an exit around. I wasn't there yet, but if I got there, it would have covered the loss at the slot machine as well. And Mr. Greedy gets a pair of tens with a $50 wager on blackjack and a $25 wager on a side bet that pays when you get a two-card total of 20 as your first two cards. And it pays even more if the 20 is created by two of the same card. So he gets paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars on the side bet and immediately splits his tens. Splitting tens is never a correct strategy. In fact, an often repeated blackjack joke is you split tens to clear out the table or when you are sure you can win the fight against the table in the parking lot. (laughs) 
And we, for some reason, think that's funny all the time. Mental note, it wasn't in the plan, but I will try to remember to tell you the story about that joke and a response in the VIP lounge. It's quick. It's a story I often tell in the VIP lounge. Um, and, and the other part of the, the story was uh, a very creative person. Anyway, Mr. Greedy doesn't know this and or he doesn't care. And frankly, there was only one person at the table who had any chance of handling the fight if it occurred. And it certainly wasn't me. So that wasn't on the table, you know, running joke or no running joke. So I'm not going to do the card by card breakdown. He split and split again and made a nice amount of money. And if he had just played correctly, we all would have gotten paid, including the dealer, since two of us had bets out for her. Mr. Greedy is celebrating while the dealer and the other three of us are shooting him angry looks. And he's trying to high-five people, and everyone's ignoring him. And he says, what's wrong with y'all? And the person on his right says, dude, you just screwed the entire table. And he responds, but I got paid. Well, the man on his left says, you did so well. You could at least tip the dealer what you cost her. And he says, F that noise. The next hand, of course, is a larger bet for me. And a split as well if played properly. And a hard seven. And Mr. Greedy has uh, a hard 17 against a dealer's nine showing, which should be a stand. Even taking a card is risky here at this point. But Mr. Greedy doubles and gets a four to have 21, a lucky break, and a great hand for him. Of course, across the flow of the cards, that four would have made my made the first of my two hands work and work out. But that hand was a bust instead as was the second half of my split, which would have been a week 17 against the dealer's nine if things had played out differently. And the dealer has a six under and made a 20, but would have busted and paid all of us and paid me twice if Mr. Greedy hadn't doubled. Again, he won, but he messed up the table for everyone else in the process. And again, the man on his right says, dude, you just screwed the table again. And he got a reply of, why should I care? And the person on his left said, because this is usually us against them, not us against each other. So now I had a small win that didn't cover my losses at the craps tables, let alone the slot loss that I thought I might have had a chance to cover if, if things had continued. And the table dynamic is, is now complete garbage. Angry, tense, confrontational. So I colored up to leave. And as that started, Mr. Greedy says, Hey, boss, why are you leaving? And I used what I confess is a standard line of mine sometimes, once in a while, and it isn't particularly nice, but it is not nice in a somewhat subtle way. And I said, LeBron James doesn't play basketball with someone like me because I'll do something stupid out of ignorance. He will get injured and I'll be fine. And Mr. Greedy looks a little puzzled, and the man on his right says, it's a metaphor, dude. A metaphor. And so now he understands who the LeBron James is in this situation. And I almost thought I might end up in the fight in the parking lot from the look on Mr. Greedy's face as I walked away. <laughs> anyway, Mrs. TRG had some uh, extended family activities that uh, didn't involve me. And she needed to deal with those things over the weekend, some events she needed to go to. So I went back to my host at Casino One for a room comp and a solo trip. And I'll pause here with a quick observation. On one hand, a room comp there isn't a big deal. The host has been comping me for years. But a look at the details is a bit more interesting. My mailer each month from, the, from Casino One says, I get one room comp each month, Sunday through Thursday, or 
a discounted comp of only $99 on a Friday or a Saturday, a partial comp. But when I text my host, he just fully comps me almost every time I ask. Once a month, twice a month, Saturday night, it almost never matters. And this stuck out this trip because the place was packed. When I arrive on a Saturday around mid-afternoon, I usually park in the first couple rows of the parking lot. This time, on this day, pandemic or no pandemic, I struggled to find a spot at the end of the lot 20 rows back. Gabriel nailed it when we were texting about it. March Madness and the casino has a sports book for the first time ever with March Madness. That's what pulled in the crowd. In addition to the room comp, I received some match bets, some free slot play, and a drink comp. I had two winning tables, two losing tables. I had a winning and a losing slot machine. I won a sports bet made for entertainment only based on a recommendation from Gabriel. I'm going to tell you about the winning table in a few minutes in the lounge, um, but let me tell you about one of the losing tables. I was finishing my really nice winning table as the basketball game I had money on was uh, starting up and, and partway through the game. So once, once my winning table concluded, um, I, I went and found a spot where I could watch. I had a couple drinks, and I watched the end of the game to, uh, to see how my, my wager would play out. And I could have wrapped up the evening at that point with the results of the game. Not necessarily should have. I wasn't that far up, but could have. Might have if it was an hour later. Might have, probably would have, I think, if I had lost the minor sports bet. But solo, just there on my own, not a lot of other concerns. I sat down for one more table because it was still kind of early in the evening. And I'll tell this quickly, and I tell it for one reason. There is a very classic way evenings like this end at blackjack tables sometimes. It's so classic that I once told similar results twice in two months to a younger, less experienced Mrs. TRG, and she commented that my losing runs always ended up that way, and she had some suspicion in her eyes. And interestingly, the next week, she experienced the exact same thing, and I made an observation or two that removed that suspicion. Anyway, here's the sequence of events just to show you how these things can go. So, things are going okay, not great, I'm not down enough to worry about, a wager or two, after a couple of full shoes. And as I'm nearing the end of a shoe, I have a two-unit bet out that needs to be doubled, and I do, and I lose, and I sit out the last few hands of the shoe. And I treat the new shoe like a new table, and add another $100 cash as a partial buy-in, to start with the proper number of units. A half dozen hands in, I make a larger bet. It needs to be split. I do. One of the hands needs to be doubled. I do. Another hand needs to be split and doubled. I add another 100 cash and make that double, and the dealer builds a five-card 21. And I lose five times the original wager. Done, leave, and off to bed. Now, it's not that there's anything wrong with any of those techniques. I do them multiple times a month in various combinations with positive results. But once in a while... You have to take a loss that is larger than you want to and move on, which I did. But I wanted to show you that because it does happen, and it happens not often, but often enough that it's a pattern you recognize. And if you recognize that pattern, if you see it, you can just go, eh, it happens, and not be angry about it, not be tense about it, not be anxious about it. Just go, this happens. It's normal. It's not me. I didn't do anything wrong. It's not bad luck. It's not any of that stuff. It's just a thing that happened. 
I ended up finishing the trip up just a little bit. From a casino combat win-loss point of view with the various comps and things, a solid win. But just a little bit of that win was cash. I had a great night at the casino, spent the evening in a comp room instead of being home solo, flipping channels, and I got other free stuff. It was a win. But as I said, in terms of the cash, eh, I covered my minimal expenses and made just a few dollars. So for the week, not counting my not casino combat yet crap session, I lost roughly a half day's pay this week. Looking forward, we're doing a, a couple's trip this weekend, then the holiday weekend, which will be family, not gambling, and we are off to Las Vegas for a week after that. I'm planning to have an episode for you uh, right after Easter, as always, even though we will physically be in Las Vegas, and I'll give you the final results for the month as part of that episode. Since the month ends midweek, that's the, the right place to do that. But if the schedule is weird for any reason, that's why. I got a couple of fun ones for you in the VIP lounge. Let's wrap up there next. Oh, a little bit of the bubbly. Our VIP lounge is open each and every time you need to enjoy it. Whenever you're ready. Guaranteed. Let's do the entire thing today. It's been a while. Why not? Um. Welcome, help yourself, beer and wine on the left, wine sparkling and still water on the right, in the middle, all the best bottles. If you don't want them neat or on the rocks, we have both handcrafted pop and locally bottled artisanal soda. Help yourself and join me while I enjoy a Royal Crown Peach with just one cube. I was lucky enough to pick up one of those yesterday. Uh, I don't always find peach, and when I see them, I try to grab them because they're pretty pretty rare and, and they're enjoyable. It's a nice change of pace. I'll get to my story from this past weekend shortly, but first, the, the Splitting 10 story. Um, I, I actually remembering the Splitting 10 story. Um, years ago, Mrs. TRG and I were playing blackjack with a woman old enough to be our grandmother, a very tiny lady, and a bodybuilder beach guy in Atlantic City. And not a 5 foot 8, 190 bodybuilder beach guy, a 6 foot 3-ish, 245 pound bodybuilder beach guy big guy but we're all having a great time we're all winning i'm building stacks of black and green chips um it's it's great it's fun at one point bodybuilder beach guy is dealt a pair of tens and he looks at me and says you know what's what am i even supposed to split tens so of course i say you split tens when you want everyone to leave the table in anger or when you are certain you can win the fight with the other players in the parking lot after you split your tens Given the other players here with you, I'd say your odds in the fight are really good. You should do whatever you want to do. And I meant it. I had won enough at that point that whatever he did, it wasn't going to hurt Mrs. TRG and I. We were going to be fine and we'd all been enjoying playing and having fun. But he hears my explanation and he pauses for a minute and he considers. And then he says, you look like the type of man who can afford protection and you are certainly smart enough to bring them to the fight I'll stand. <laughs> I just always thought that was such a great comeback to the same joke you hear four times a year. And it just, it stuck with me. And there have been multiple times where I've repeated that in the VIP lounge, just exactly as I repeated it to you here. As far as looking like a man who can afford protection, I'm certainly no Ed DeLine. Um, so here we go. Here we go. Today's event. Um, I'm going to call this one the Cowboy and K-Loke. And as is often the case with me, you get some backstory before the story. 
uh, to put things in context. So despite living in a state that uh, would not normally be associated with cowboys, I, I have a legit claim to being a cowboy. I grew up on farms and around horses. I started riding at a very young age. I was ranked uh, in the top 100 nationally for a few years as a young child in a couple of different events. Now, I haven't been on a horse for years, but I have always loved the boots, the hats, the belts, the buckles that I grew up with. Historically, I've worn boots when other men wore Oxford dress shoes, and I've been fortunate enough to pick up several pairs of exotic skinned boots over the years. So my normal go-out-to-dinner-on-a-casual-Tuesday look is alligator skin boots, black jeans, silver belt buckle with a vintage $1 Binion's gambling token on it, and a dress shirt. Add a black denim vest for casino organization purposes, and I'm certainly working a bit of a cowboy vibe in a casino most of the time, which I'd avoid if it was all just a performance, but I earned the ribbons and trophies on the back of a horse years ago. I've got a claim to the look. So I met K-Loke when he joined a blackjack table where I was playing and winning on Saturday night. He had a very uh, Kevin Hart kind of energy about him. And at first glance, he didn't necessarily look like he and I, people who would hit it off. Matching up with my old guy cowboy vibe, he is much younger and rocking a very urban, street smart, high fashion kind of hip hop vibe. Uh, very uh, nice white sneakers, unstructured track pants, a t-shirt, and a red leather Coco Chanel clutch. At least I hope it was Coco Chanel. That's the two C's that are kind of interlocked and go both ways. I think that's right. It's that brand. If I got the brand wrong, that shows you I don't know brands. But his, his casino style was very loose, very casual compared to my very button-down, everything-in-its-place approach. And we got an age gap. But boy, we hit it off right from Jump Street. He introduced himself, and as we started talking, he was telling me about his first that it was his first time at this casino, that he was just learning to play blackjack, but his wife just had won a, a five-digit win um, a few weeks back at uh, my local casino, and they had put a down payment on a house. Things were good. I met his wife a little bit later and started to realize that the clutch was a great choice for him, for his style. His pants and shirt didn't have any decent pockets for securing and holding things. Now, she had her own bag, so my thought that he was holding her bag while she gambled wasn't an option. And I started to realize that every time he needed something, it was in his bag. Since he was really trying to learn, I asked if he was interested in the podcast. And when he said yes, my business card went right into his clutch. K. Loke wasn't a good blackjack player, but he wasn't a stupid blackjack player either. He was constantly gathering information, asking questions, getting and using advice. He was learning the game. He said to start out with he was learning the game, but he was actively learning. He was aggressively gaining knowledge. He was thrilled to learn that there was a strategy chart for the game, that the strategy chart was well-defined, freely available, and he could use it openly at a blackjack table. All information he didn't have. I have no idea what his gambling journey is going to be, and I may never find out, and I don't know if he ever will actually listen to any episode of the podcast. But K-Loke had all the tools to become a good casino gambler from what I saw. We had a blast gambling together for several hours. I told you that at one point, I actually considered a purse, but decided on the vest instead. K-Loke showed exactly how to rock a handbag instead of a vest, and it worked just really, really well. 
I wanted to share this story, though, for an additional reason. Sometimes if you do this and do it well, you have a day or a week where it is just, as I said, really grindy. Stop, get free money, play free play, get t-shirt you probably don't really need, leave. Stop, get lunch for free, play free slot play, make $18, leave. And then a few days later, you meet someone like Kay Loke, and you have a great time, you have a memorable time together. And sometimes that great time is a one-time thing, and sometimes that great time becomes the beginning of something bigger, whether that's becoming allies or becoming actual friends. If three weeks from now, I'm telling you that I ran into Kay Loke again walking through a casino in Las Vegas or some other casino in the region and we gambled together again or helped each other out, I'm not going to be surprised at all. It's part of the casino lifestyle that I talk about. It's part of the idea that the various casinos and casino brands become a big club where you often know people everywhere you go. Not every person, but you know some people. And that's why the grindy parts are worth it to me. They're not difficult. And every casino experience does not have to be amazing and the best time ever. They're both fine. They're both different parts of the experience. So that's the cowboy and Kalo. And I'll, of course, keep you posted if I run into them again. If you're playing the casino chip game, there are eight the hard way in this episode of the podcast beginning to end. Please tip your waitresses, tip your bartenders, tip your dealers. Don't tip away your wins. We have a casino wisdom for that. I have spoken. Everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. It's time for leaving, and I hope you understand I was born a rambling man. Love it, hate it, it don't matter. Please share with your family and friends. Goodbye, everyone.